What's up, folks? Matt DeMarinas here, White and Blue Review, sitting here with my buddy, Bobby Lula, and his new pup pup, Douglas MacArthur McDermott. What's the, what's the, what's the other names? What are they? Douglas Fur McDermott. Douglas Fur. <laughs> no, not McDermott. Douglas Fur Lula. I was going to say, I don't remember McDermott. I was kidding about that part. Douglas Fur Lula. Douglas Fur Lula? Okay. Yeah, it was a Christmas present, so we thought we'd throw the fur in there, make it a little festive. I like it. Yeah, well. He's being a good, being a very good boy right now. Oh yeah, he's passed out. <laughs> so, so this is like a, th- you know, a three team podcast right now. If he wants to chime in, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, he probably will. Let's be honest. <laughs> so we got some takes for you. Um, we are coming in after Creighton's 93-58 win over Kennesaw State. Uh, much more reasonable hour of the day than we did for the last one with Jacob. Um, but hopefully the content is just quality, right? No drop, I mean, no drop, I no drop off, no drop off there. Hopefully. Um, so yeah, I guess. Uh, what were your early takeaways? Obviously, slow start, big spark off the bench um, from Kalkbrenner, Antoine Jones, Sharif Mitchell. Uh, that seemed to kind of put things in motion and keep them going from there. What, what did you see in terms of? Uh, um. You know, just like what they were able to do that changed the complexion of the way things were starting out, at least. I mean, yeah. So my initial reaction was just that, like, I, I, I know they won by 35 and scored 93 points, but I thought it was like a C-plus effort overall. Um, I, I just – at there were stretches where I was like, oh, that was, that was a good sequence there. But I just didn't think they played that well overall. They didn't – they shot under 33% from three, so they didn't shoot the ball that well. Shot it really well from two because um, they got a lot of layups and those kind of opportunities. But um, honestly, what really got it turned around, it seemed like, was defensively they were uh, they were able to get some turnovers from Kennesaw State. Obviously, the, the Kalkbrenner run out sticks out where he ended up dunking, uh, going – not quite coast to coast, but from like the Rockies to New York. Um, Stole and, that from me. Uh, well, you said Omaha, but I pushed it a little further west because he was on. He was like at the three point line, so I gave him a little, a little extra credit. Okay, but uh, yeah, I, I thought defensively between that and then there were some traps which we didn't really see until this game in terms of uh, like Denzel and and Damian we're jumping out there and kind of trapping some guys in the, in the high corners and high corners is what I call it out by half court. Not just so, you know, for terminology's sake. Um, but uh, which we hadn't really seen coming up into this game and, and Kennesaw state really had no idea what the F to do with that. That caused a couple real quick runouts as well. Um, so really I thought defensively is what kind of sparked them. And it happened when Antoine Jones and and Kalkbrenner came in the game. It seemed like that opening group just wasn't quite ready to to put their foot on the gas pedal. But once those two guys came in, the defensive intensity turned up a little bit and then kind of resulted in the offense finally figuring things out and getting in a rhythm as well. I think it's crazy how these first three games have gone so far with the balanced contributions because it's not easy to – you know, 
get get a team on the same page like that this early in the year. I mean, you'll see you'll see balanced scoring efforts early in the season because of the nature of like the imbalance in terms of competition level. So you'll see starters um, kind of blow a game open, then reserves come in for the garbage time minutes, and they'll kind of fill it up. Maybe one or two guys will, and it'll look like everybody was – you had this balanced scoring effort. Yeah. With what Creighton's done so far in these first three games, is they've kind of just used, you know, a consistent study of first rotation, second rotation, guys getting steady minutes, and, and the roles have been consistent so far. Um, and then they've all kind of produced when they've gotten in, in their spurts, right? Like, no one's been overly extended, overly exerted in terms of, you know, workload. Uh, I think Mitch and Marcus were north of 35 minutes in that first game, uh, which you'd honestly expect them to be in most, uh, most of the season because that's just kind of who they are and how valuable they are on the floor. Um, but you, but you also see like the balance in minutes, the balance in production, the balance in, in everybody kind of being smart with the ball. And, and certainly, you know, there's a select few with that too, because it's just impressive to see how they've been all on the same page so far. And I don't think that's something that should be taken lightly when we're trying to map out what this team's potential could be. Because again, it's only, I feel like that's only going to get, better and stronger as the season goes along, even if rotations shrink and minutes shrink and roles change um, or alter a little bit to a certain extent. That's been the most impressive part of these first three games. And it was the most, it was the, it was the difference in the game today when Cockburner and, and Jones came into the game um, and sparked that, that run, that was basically ball game. And it got everybody else into a rhythm because it kind of woke everyone up. I just think it's, Honestly, I've been impressed with the depth so far. It's not yeah. – don't. no one seems out of their – no one seems off right now. No, honestly, the, the only guy that seems a little off is Marcus, honestly, is his, his jumper hasn't been quite um, as lethal. He'll hit a couple in a row, and then he'll kind of fade back to the averages a little bit. But he hasn't had one of his – you know, him and Mitch both have neither had one of those uh, – like earth scorcher games that we know are coming yeah. at some point. But, he, um, but even still, like Marcus is five for 11 his last two games after going two for 11 in the first one. So, I mean, he's still same. The last, like, the last two, he's been on schedule. So, yeah, but the last like four times I saw Marcus at home last year, he was like six for seven every game. So, no, yeah, he was 89% the last four home games. So that's kind of <laughs> like I'm not even, like, that's he's, a real number. Like, that's yeah. not. No, it's legit. Yeah, he missed like two. I think he was sixteen of eighteen from three in his last four home games. Yeah. So yeah, like it probably feels more dramatic than it actually is. But when he just misses any shots, I'm just like, oh no, what's happened? <laughs> what's wrong with him? <laughs> but no, I thought the dunk was going to be a a plus for this team regardless, and that's why when, you know, when people asked about even before he got hurt. Um, when Roddy tore his ACL before that, they're like, hey, do you think he's going to play this year? And I was like, listen, I think he's good enough to contribute as a freshman most years, but because of this, the way this team is constructed, I'm just not totally sure who he's taking minutes away from, yeah. you know? And between Sharif, who I think has gotten a lot better this year, and Zagorowski, like your point guard minutes are done and covered. 
and you've even seen Zagorowski move over to the two a little bit to get Sharif Mitchell more time. So those are minutes at the one and the two. Obviously, you've got um, you got Mitch Ballack, DJ, Denzel, Antoine, Jones, all playing those like two through four spots. Um, and then you've got the three big guys in the middle. There's just not a lot of minutes to be had there. And so I thought depth could really be a – a plus for this team. The only question I had coming in, and we still don't really have an answer because we haven't had a guy to test it yet, is what's that one-on-one perimeter stopper look like? Do we have that guy or a combination of those guys? You know, because I could very easily see it be like, okay, when they play Teddy Allen, it's going to be a combination of Denzel Mahoney and Antoine Jones that stop him or that guard him, right? And when you play – um I don't know, some some little shifty point guard in, in the Big East. Oh, Gillespie. Yeah, when you play Gillespie, Sharif Mitchell's going to take him, right? Or Marcus, yeah. And then, um, you know, when you've got some of those longer, more athletic twos and threes, Damian Jefferson's going to take him. And so I think it's going to be a combination of those guys, but we just haven't seen how that's going to work yet against elite perimeter scoring and one-on-one play. And that's, that's the only question I had coming in, and, and honestly, it's the only question I still have. Yeah, and I think people should, you know, I think people should uh, be patient with that because it, it takes time for that to emerge. I mean, you know, everybody's kind of like, who's going to replace Tyshawn um, on that end of the floor, and especially, especially his value, what he was able to bring on that end of the floor. But let's not forget that, at this time last year, even even in the delayed start, this time last year, we didn't know Tyshawn was going to be that player on the defensive end of the floor either. It didn't, it didn't come – you know, you saw glimpses of it in the non-conference. Uh, certainly maybe – I'm trying to think of the game where it, I noticed it. Uh, North Florida, he shut those guys down pretty good. They had a good perimeter attack. Uh, Austin Reeves at Oklahoma, he made him super inefficient, even though he kind of filled it up a little bit from a – the first raw, time I noticed it – From a raw number standpoint. Um, go ahead. What were you saying? The, the first time I noticed it was Reeves. And, and like you said, he still put up some some compilation numbers. Yeah. But watching that game, you're like, oh, man, he made Reeves' life really difficult. He did. He was like 415 from the floor. He got like – yeah. It was – yeah. He was, um, he, was, he was closing in on Miles Powell territory there. For sure. But the, but the breakout – game where you're like, oh boy, he's he's a stopper was the first game against Marquette on December, I don't know when it was, thirty first or was it January first? I can't remember. Yeah, it was it was right around New Year. I don't remember yeah, it was but that first big East game was when you're like, oh boy, he's he's leveled up. Um because it's like and even then I remember texting people, you know, j- different uh you know, non Creighton affiliated uh you know, basketball pundits or whatever, just being like, yo, Tyshawn, keep an eye. And it's like, uh, that was impressive tonight. And they're just like, yeah, but, you know, it's one game. Howard struggled. And I'm just like, no, Howard didn't struggle. He had his water shut off. That's the difference. <laughs> that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference there when a guy is, like, getting in rhythm looks and he's off versus he can't yeah. versus he can't breathe out there. And anything he gets is like, you know, a, a sign of relief. Um, well, it's one of those things where 
if you don't watch that game, you're like, well, I've seen Howard have these types of performances before. Yeah. I've seen that stat line before where he just could never really get it going. But if you watch that game, you're like, I haven't seen very many people do that to him. Yeah, so that's going to, but, but, but like to the larger point, that's going to take time. So I do think Creighton has capable players. Yeah, I just, I don't it's think just, it's going to be one guy. It's going to be multiple guys. Depending I, on I think, I mean, it can be one guy. Why not? You don't, well, you, are, I just, I think it's, I think it's rare that it is one guy. And I get that we've been in a couple straight teams have had both Kyrie and Norm you know, or the one through four, even that's not the norm though. Like that's pretty unusual. You're usually going to have like tiers of guys to give you options at the different positions. And I think Creighton has that now. I think they've got good options at, you know, the point, the wing and the four spot um, in terms of replacing what Tyshawn did. But I think it's, it's asking a lot to have one guy be able to do all of that. And that's not, that's pretty unusual. It just doesn't feel unusual because Creighton's had two of them in the last six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I, I still think Denzel's capable of it. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's going to get a crack at it on Tuesday. Um, Does he have the lateral he, quickness for it? That's my question. I know he has the, I know he has the wingspan. He has the physicality. The really, the Marcus Howards of the world. The little, I don't, I understand Howard's gone, but. Those type of little super hyper quick guys, like I, I don't know if he has the lateral quickness that the Kyries and Tyshawn did. Now, I understand Tyshawn improved his a lot over the yeah. course of his career, and his anticipation and just reading things helped him a ton, and maybe that'll be the case with Denzel. But lateral quickness with Denzel has never been like – I've never looked at him and been like, hey, his lateral quickness is really special. Like that's not something that's ever – I've ever looked yeah. at I agree, I agree with you. I, I understand what you're saying there. And I, but I just keep going back to the point where, like, he's got a little – he's got the, you know, some some of the skills you need. And we didn't think Tyshawn was the was the guy who was going to be laterally quick enough to do that either at this point. Totally like, true. That, that's what I keep cautioning. I'm not saying you're going to be – I'm not saying you're going to be wrong and people who think who – who share your opinion are going to be wrong. I'm just saying at this point last year, we didn't think – we all those same questions we just laid out for a Denzel type. We also could have laid out for a Tyshawn type, and we were, and we would have been wrong at the end of the day. So that's all I'm saying. It's like we, we, we need to see this play out a little bit before we can even attempt. And I know we've just attempted to, but before we can even attempt to knowledgeably answer this question is what I'm saying. It's, totally fair. My yeah. only pushback on that at all is I felt like sometimes we saw the lateral quickness from Tyshawn on offense. Okay. And but I did, we, did, did we not see it in flashes with Denzel last year? He switched on to Powell in that senior day game. Made he did light, a couple made light, times. Made light, made light but I also game. don't think David, Powell David, the the da- David Duke, mm-hmm. when he was on a heater in that Providence home game, he shut him down at the, on the last play of the game. David Duke is probably your best example. Powell is not a hyper-quick guy. He's like your kind of hardened, uses the body and the change of speed and the physicality because he's a big-bodied guy. But Powell's not hyper-quick. That's why he's not in the NBA. Okay. Um, but like, so so it's I was kind of in the NBA. Well, I mean, ish. <laughs> uh, but so I would push back on that a little bit. David Duke is probably your best example. Yeah. But 
and there are certainly flashes, but being able to sustain that for a whole game, like as a guy that does not have lateral quickness, who has occasionally taken a possession or two away from a guy that's much quicker than me, mm-hmm. like you can sometimes fool people and give them something maybe that you want them to take and, and not look bad if they miss the shot. Well, well, here's the one thing that maybe in this conversation we're not noting is that when we're dealing with hyper quick ones and combo guards, Sharif is the defender. Well, that's what I'm, that's my point though. Okay. So when we're, talking, when we're talking about like bigger wings who aren't super quick and who aren't as quick as the combo guards. I'm totally that, okay. That, yeah, totally Denzel can match up with those guys. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. But that's what I'm saying. It's going to be multiple guys. Okay. That okay. Take yeah. the spot of Tyshawn. Yeah, yeah. Because I, Sharif I, but, is capable of guarding those. He can't guard up like Tyshawn did, but he can guard those combo guards because of his quickness and his. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. The oh, okay. guys are going to be taken by Sharif. Mm hmm. Okay. And then the bigger bodied guys are going to be taken by a combination of like DJ, Denzel, and, and Antoine Jones. All Denzel right. being the most promising defender of those mm-hmm. from what we've seen. But my point was a lot of people are looking for a replacement for Tyshawn, is that's going to be at least two guys. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yep, yep, yep. The Reef has taken the Marcus Howards of the world. Everybody from Miles Powell on up is probably going to be Denzel. Right, got you. Yeah, but Denzel is never going to probably, unless it's a switch, get a regular crack at the littler guys. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I did. I don't think. I didn't, maybe I didn't remember you mentioning Reefs. So that's why I felt like you got lost in that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Reef is an incredible defender, and anybody under like six three who's hyper quick is all him. Yeah, all him for sure. Um, where should we? Let's see where we want to jump next. Uh, Mitch banged a logo three. Are you happy? Oh, always. Do you, want, I, do, you want, do you want to talk about your feelings when, when that happened? Because I, I know I had some. I mean, it was pure elation, just <laughs> pure joy. Um, it's, When's the last time he hit one of those? Um, I mean, the one that he hit on the day Kobe died is the one that came back to my mind. Okay. And he, one, he launched one against DePaul that he was just long on. Um, I mean, he, he hits long ones a lot, all the way out to the logo. It's, it's probably been a minute. You know what's crazy about this one, though? This might be the longest one he's ever hit because he wasn't – normally was he's like – off-center. Yeah, it was local off-center, yeah. right? He Normally he's like beak adjacent. Yeah. But he was like, he was like deep into the beak. If you're no, he looking was full where, wing. He was like full wing. Yeah. But all the well, way out past the spike line. Like, the, top, the like top of the C. And that's like – that had to have been a 40-footer. Uh, I would have guessed 35. I would have guessed 35. I think it might be deeper than 35. I'm just saying, I've, I, because I watched so much Curry, I okay. have a, I, they, yeah, you have a good sense of what the floor dimension. Yeah, because he, he does this, this stuff a lot. And they, <laughs> so, like, you know, he's like, all right, he's 30% in the 35 to 40 range. Like he's, you know. Yeah, and so, but like about there, like logo, but to the wing, all right. about 35. And Creighton has a pretty sizable logo. It's, it's bigger, it's wider sideline to sideline than it is end line to end. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like it doesn't reach over end line to end line very much on either side of the midcourt line, but it, it extends sideline to sideline pretty big. So it's not it's not like you can be deceived by the the distance line where he was because again he yeah. was in he was deep into the beak if you're looking but where his feet were. Here's where I I don't I usually don't go by the half court logo because they change. I usually go from how far back he is from the three point line. 
Oh, all right. Like that's okay. how I generally gauge. Hmm. Um, and it, it felt like about 35 personally. Well, well, college courts are 94, right? Are they still 94? I believe so. Yeah. So 40 is 47 directly in the middle. Do they line that up accurately or do they yeah. just, okay. So 47 is like directly in the middle of the so you think he was so you so you're, you're guessing he was 12 feet inside the half court line i just want to pull it up and look because this is it, it it wasn't just it wasn't one of his like catch and in rhythm shots he kind of like caught it and sized thought, it up it seemed like yeah. he thought about it for a second yeah which is like and he still cashed it it's like okay usually when he thinks about him for a second are the ones he misses right i mean that's i feel like that's the way it's the way it is everybody i used to say that to people when we were growing up playing if I like left them open on a, if I was like late on a closeout and someone caught it and they were like staring at me, I'm like, you already missed. You spent too much time thinking about that. Like it's true. You have to I say, be I say that all the time. And anyway, I had a pretty good success rate of saying you already missed. I used to say that to people all the time. If I was late on a closeout and I didn't feel like finishing it, and they were still they still had the ball in like their shooting pocket and they hadn't rose up yet, I would just straight up say like you already missed that <laughs> before they even got it up. Just because you got you got to you got to stay in rhythm. You can't like start taunting me before the ball's up. It takes an elite level shooter to be able to break rhythm and then regather and shoot it. That's what I'm saying. But dudes would be like, if they saw me like closing and then stop, they think they had a bucket, so they would look at me and you know try like tell me they got me. And like you already missed, bro. Yeah, you got to do your taunting after you shoot it. Yes, you you have to feel it first. Like if it feels good, then you can like you know, look at me a little bit. That's, that's, well, again, that's the Curry special. He shoots it and then he might not even look at it, go in, but then he'll taunt you after that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Whereas like Harden will do the stare down, but he misses half of them. Right. But yeah, I, I mean, I think this is kind of a tangent, but I don't think people appreciate how difficult, like little alterations and jump shots are because whether it's just like, thinking about it for an extra second or um, a lot of people will like if they don't catch it in the right, like part of the pocket. Like I used to coach this guy that uh, could catch the ball at his face and without bringing the ball back down, just shoot it and cash it, Mm -hmm. which is legitimately one of the hardest things to do, like shooting a basketball. Yeah. You're probably right about 35 because it looks like his feet are – like at the E A, at the E A L part of C H I health, maybe the H, depending on how the, depending on how the the, the camera adjusts if you lined up. Yeah, I think it's I think it's shy of forty. I you have to be real deep to get to forty. Yeah, you do, but I can't see the mid court line, so where where he's catching, so I think you're right. If I had been able to see the mid-court line, I would definitely think he's at 40. Yeah, if you can see the mid-court line but not the three-point line, you, you're probably <laughs> – If you can see <laughs> – you're probably on the other side of the mid-court line. Right? I think that's that's fair. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I eye it. Is if I can see the mid-court line, I feel like you're in 40-foot range. See, and I, I eye it the other way. I eye it from the three-point line. Okay. Well, all I know is I didn't see – he wasn't in the – he wasn't on the screen when he caught it. Yeah, he was not was, in the frame at all. <laughs> and those are my favorite ones because you're always you always you always know he's there somewhere, but then you see the ball just kind of being thrown into like the ether. Especially like, on the, I love it on those kickouts because yeah. I think that's what the 
that's what the one the Xavier one last year was. Um, it was a kick out. I think it was from was it from Calvin? Yeah. And you're just like, where did he throw that ball? If you're not a Creighton fan, but if you're a Creighton fan, you're like, oh, Mitch is back there. Mitch okay. is back there. Okay. Mitch, is, Mitch, Mitch is hanging out around the bird. <laughs> I'm, I'm about ready to see some magic here. <laughs> but, yeah, like today it wasn't, it wasn't one of his best because he wasn't in rhythm, but he still cashed it from like 35 feet easy. Yeah. It's like defender closed out short, not obviously knowing who he's dealing with. And... We were uh, – we were – like a moving screen call away, I think, from getting Mitch really going. Yes. Because, like, two possessions later. Never because he hit that one uh, smooth on two possessions. Yeah, yeah. Epperson got called for a moving screen on Zagorowski, and Zagorowski whipped it to Balak, who just cashed it easy. Mm -hmm. And, man, I think we were really, really close to falling off the Balak cliff. Into like a dozen threes. I was I was excited. <laughs> into a dozen threes. We well, just like, we're like, how long does it take him to get heated up? Well, if he hits one, he's feeling good. If he hits two, we're looking at ten. Yeah, pretty much though. I mean, it's got a lot of the yeah. it's got if a lot hit- of the, the Rocky effect to it. You're like, if he hits two in a row, like there's just no telling what's gonna happen. Except for I'm seriously cracking up right now because you see guys like just take Miles Powell, right? Because he's a guy who was notoriously, you know, notorious microwave. So, like, if he hit one, you were kind of like, uh-oh. And if he hit two, you were like, oh, he's on. And you're, fig- you're figuring the next one's going to be a heat check. Like, for Mitch, they're all kind of already in heat check territory, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, the minute he gets one to go, you're like, oh, he's on. <laughs> yes. and, then when he, and then when he hits a second one in a row, you're like, okay, this one's about to shatter records right now. He can, he he can hit as many as he wants right now. If he hits two in a row, I'm like, he's going for the 11 out of 12 at DePaul record. Here we go. Because <laughs> that's the way it is in practice. If you've ever watched him shoot in practice, and in practice, his heaters are completely unrealistic to a game. They'll never translate, even though I want them to so bad. Because <laughs> <clears throat> he'll routinely go 30 for 30 in practice if he gets on. And so – if he, you see, when you so, it's always, when it always starts in practice when he gets two in a row, you're like, okay, get your cameras ready. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, a, it's like Apollo Creed in Rocky Two when he's yeah. like, get your cameras ready, about to knock this dude down. Um, and he's like winding up. Like, if Mitch hits two in a row in practice, get your cameras ready because you're about to see like 25 to 30 in a row in about 15 seconds. Like, yeah, it's going to happen. Right. It's going to happen quick and it's going to be incredible. In a game, if he gets two in a row, you're like, Okay, 10 straight possessions, he needs a touch. Oh, 100%. If he ever hits two in a row and they don't give him a touch on the next possession, I'm furious. It's not practice. It's like it basketball. is. It, I mean, yeah. like, you should lose your scholarship. That's like when we going back to the when we were watching, re-watching the Villanova game and Rocky was, what, he started seven for seven that day? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know why the next 30 minutes don't involve him shooting. <laughs> <laughs> That and also, like, he went two for two, and then, like, man, I got took one, and I was like, I know you made it, but what are you doing? Because you're like – you're like, And then Doug made one, but then after that, Doug realized what was happening. So he was giving – Doug was giving up, like, wide-open layups to kick it back out to Rob. Because <laughs> you're like, when he's – when, Yeah, when he's a sh- – when a shooter like that is in the zone – like, you need to wait for them to tackle him before you stop letting him shoot. We're talking about, like, 
Clay 37 and a quarter territory here. Yeah. Like, there was, like, Steve Kerr was getting mad at them because, like, Steph Curry, BT Dubs, the greatest shooter to ever live, was refusing to shoot the basketball because he's like, we got to get Clay the Rock again. <laughs> we got to keep feeding him. He's absurdly hot. That's yeah, mad. look I, at the basket in a half because, hour. Because Mitch isn't this type of guy. He's not this type of player. I wish he was, like, 30% more. I mean, that's what I mean. Can you imagine if he was, like, selfish? We'd see 30-point halves already. I, I wish I wish he was, like – I love how he plays the game, but I wish he was, like, 30% more selfish. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like, if he were, we'd see, we'd already seen, we would already have seen multiple, like, 10-3 halves in his career. Oh, without a doubt. If he were one of these dudes who's, like, I'm feeling it, I got this. Like, he'd be pulling from everywhere on the floor. Can you imagine if you injected, like, just an ounce of Miles Powell's lack of conscious into Mitch Ballack's skull for a half? <laughs> I actually – I asked I asked Greg McDermott this uh, maybe early in fall camp last year. I was like – I was like uh, – I was like, name your name, name to tell me who you think the top three shooters in the Big East are right now. Um, and he was like, uh, I didn't even think it was a top three. I said, who are the best shooters in the Big East at this point? It was like October or whatever, um, in your opinion. He's like, you know, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, it's hard to not say those guys. And I was like, who else would you put in if you were allowed to include someone in your own gym? And he's like, Mitch. I was like, what's the difference between Mitch and Marcus and Miles? And he's like, well, they, they, they know they're the best shooters. You know, they think they are. So they should, they shoot like it, they shoot accordingly. Mitch doesn't do that. Mitch is like arguably the best shooter in the country. And he plays like he needs to be the point. Like he needs to get everybody else involved first. So here's what. That's the part that like kills. That's the part that kills you from a. From a standpoint of wanting to see something like epic, like we yeah, saw against the ball, just pure magic. Yeah, is he just doesn't he just doesn't have that in his DNA? He's gonna he's gonna know when he's on, and he'll he'll get him up when he does. But he's not gonna force the issue. Here's the difference between Mitch and Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. Mitch didn't grow up being the best player on every team he was ever on. Right. And Miles Powell and Marcus Howard absolutely did. Yep. That's 100% the difference. So mm-hmm. Mar- uh, uh, Mitch grew up doing things like becoming a really good passer mm-hmm. and reading the floor, seeing reading the floor, the floor and, and getting incredible vision and doing all of these other things. And oh, he also just happens to be the best shooter in the country. Yeah. Whereas like Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, all they ever could do was score. And that was their only job. Mm-hmm. And they were the best player on every team they ever played on. And they acted like it. To me, that's 100% the difference. You can tell which guys, for the most part, were the best player on every team they've ever played on and which guys had to learn how to play, how to do other things. And listen, there's some guys like LeBron James who learned how to do all the other things anyway. You know, like he, he yeah. was the best player on every team he was ever on and just learned how to do the other things anyway. But there's a, there's a like, Kobe Bryant level of confidence in guys that were the best 
player on every court they ever stepped on. Yeah, because those guys, what they'll do is they'll force the issue when they're clearly off. Yes. That you will never see Mitch do that. Which there's he has he literally has it, to be told to do it if he's off. They take it too far. That's yeah, bad do. basketball. Correct. But there's a sweet spot in there, which is why I said like 30% more selfish for Mitch uh-huh. instead of like turning it all the way up to 11. Because <laughs> there's a sweet spot in there. And I think honestly, it's like the, it's somewhere in that like Steph Clay range, right? Where when they're hot, they're going to push it. Mm-hmm. And they'll push it a little bit when they're not hot because their team needs it. But if they're off, they get other people involved. Or if somebody else is hot, they get other people involved. Mm-hmm. Like there's a sweet spot in there, in between there, and I would love Mitch to get into that sweet spot, but it's just not who is. It's not in his DNA. No, it's not. And I've been cool. begging. I've been begging for it for three years. I'm not going to get it. <laughs> maybe you'll get it at, at KU on Tuesday. Oh my maybe, gosh. I maybe he'll think... maybe he'll just feel the power of that like arena and that homecoming, and like that thirty percent will be there. I said that at uh, on on Sportsmanlike Conduct on. Thursday. Oh, you did. I was like, well, because they asked me, they're like, hey, yeah, like, we haven't seen that, like, Mitch Supernova game yet, you know. Someone said that? It's been two games. Well, I think – or I think he, I think it was like, hey, we haven't seen Mitch or Marcus really heat up yet. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I was like – I was know, like, I dang, you people really have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of Mitch. Like, it's yeah. been two games and he hasn't hit seven threes yet. What's going on? Yeah, what the heck, man? <laughs> um, and I was like, man, I really just hope it happens – at Lawrence and he just pulls like a 10 for 12 or something or like even like a even like a 9 for 14 which is more reasonable than a 10 for 12 because that's ungodly yeah although (laughs) although clearly within his uh, capabilities if he if he did a 10 for 12 in front of Bill Self I think you I would be cool if he retired after that I think Bill Self I I I would be I would accept if he would be like listen that's my that's my basketball nirvana like I'm, I'm graduating to other things in life, and uh, and knowing full well that the team goals are like probably massively affected by it, I'd be like, you know what, I get it. I mean, I'm not even mad. I'm not, I'm not even, even. I'm not even mad. <laughs> I'm not even mad. Know, Dude walked into know, his hometown and hit ten threes in front of the coach that like lightly recruited him. I'm good. I, that's the thing is, is the person that should retire in that scenario is Bill Self. <laughs> You've lost it, old man. He's like, uh, oh, you're not gonna be an NBA lottery pick. Oh, we don't need you. Like, yeah, he probably would have helped. Probably would have, yeah, it might have. Might have probably been actually, his personality would have been perfect with all those NBA lottery picks, but all right. I've been able to do some stuff. I'm just looking at Fog Allen right now because I have an element to a three I'd like to see him hit. I need to make sure I can. Is it, right you want to hit, see him hit a three like from Lawrence, Kansas on the state? <laughs> no, they've got, a, they've got a bird, and I'm looking for. Oh, because they used to have the they used to have the state. This is probably yeah. 20, this is probably like twenty years ago. No, they, they got a bird now. Okay, all right. So here's what I'm looking at on this bird. Is right in the eyeball. <laughs> I mean, the eyeball would be a legit forty six feet. <laughs> the eyeball is like right. A, the eyeball is like a step in front of the midcourt. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be absurd. But you're right, though, because I want to see him hit one because Kansas's bird is blue, yellow, and red. I want to see him hit one with his feet in all three colors. <laughs> but, like, the only ways – so the, the distances where that lines up for him to do that are 
like 39 feet, 46 feet, and maybe right at like 43 feet. So like somewhere in there. 39 so is not out of the question. Yeah, so there are spots where there's like a little thing on the bird's like like talons where he can have like a heel on the blue part, you know, 90% of his shoe in the red and, <laughs> and then like a touch on the yellow and he'll still be in red, yellow, blue territory. That's a, that's a strange, that's a, that's a strange, I wouldn't have thought of that. I just want the full, I want the bird to get the full experience of a deep pull from Mitch. You want Mitch to, to figuratively give the bird the bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want the bird to remember it. All right, that's fair. I want the bird to get the full, you know, yeah, I want him to have a full experience. Like I want so I want Mitch to go full red, yellow, blue. Like that'll be the code. Like Mitch just went red, yellow, blue on Kansas. And every and you'll know what I'm talking about. Everybody who listens will know what I'm talking about. But that's the only reference that'll be made to it. And like, what does that yeah, anybody else who says what does that mean? It's like, sorry, bro. Inside joke. Listen to the pod, bro. Mm-hmm. Listen to the podcast. It's not going to have any distance attached to it. It's just going to be like Mitch went red, yellow, blue on KU right now, just now. <laughs> Here's the question. What if he hits three different threes? Oh, at those different distances? Yeah. One from the, one yeah. from the yellow, one from the blue. Would that be acceptable? Oh, like in three different zones? The thing is, there's a lot of yellow to work with there. So he might even, you know what I mean? Like he might hit a regular 32-footer from the yellow. Just, just a normal run-of-the-mill 32-footer. Just a casual <laughs> – yeah, just a casual 30-plus hole, <laughs> which is just, you know, he's about, like, 50% from there, so. <laughs> I mean, you're not, not wrong. You're not, not wrong. Yeah, it wouldn't be – it wouldn't – it would probably be, like, on Sports Center, and I'd probably be like, whoa, but it wouldn't be like, all right, go to bed now. You've seen enough. You've seen everything. Yeah, it's not like a you can retire now, Mitch. Right. That's just like a – that's a Tuesday. Yeah, I just hope there's some awareness of it. Now, I, now, don't get me wrong. The other part of this Kansas game, and I don't, I don't know if I really want to talk about it yet, but we can jump into it because we've kind of already assessed this team. With different. I mean, teams. how much is there left to say about? Well, I wanted to get your thoughts on Kalkbrenner, um, but um, we'll just. I mean, I can do it now if you if you want me to. Yeah, let's just talk about Kaufman, and then we'll jump into Kansas, and we'll cycle back to what it's you know because it's it's a larger picture than just Mitch. So, but I mean, like for Kaufman, obviously, then he's a newcomer, so we're kind of getting like, you know, to know what his strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. Um, but he was huge today. Like the you know, if you if there's a difference in a game that you're up by forty in most of the way, <laughs> if there's that's possible to say. Uh, Hulk coming off the bench and going four straight dunks. Yeah, basically that's what that's what that's what that's what flipped it. That's what got like Creighton ignited. And it never turned off from there. You know what I mean? So like, what in these three games, not, you know, stands out to you from just trying to learn who he is? Why are you yawning right now? I don't know. Okay. I just do. Okay. Now you're gonna be yawning. Then we're gonna look at the board. Um, that's my bad. I, you know, I've got like a got a very warm sleeping puppy on my lap. <laughs> You're kind of being low to sleep right now. Yeah. <laughs> dreaming about dreaming about Mitch pulling from forty. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, I'm just like mm, just, and then going off into Neverland. Yeah, it's just putting me at peace right there, thinking about exactly. that. Exactly. That's my basketball nirvana. Is just <laughs> seeing seeing people casually pull from thirty plus. Is, 
when they're capable of hitting from there and they just do it. Yeah, just what I've dreamed of my entire life, and it's come finally come to reality. <laughs> um, yeah, just saying, uh, but on Kalkbender, what you've seen, what what stands out to you about what he's done so far, and what you what you think he um, can realistically produce from, you know, off the bench in uh, as a freshman. Yeah, I mean, so the thing that I've been – I guess it, it really stuck out to me the most today is he's a real center. Yep. Um, and I know that sounds a little silly when we've had, like, Justin Patton. and But, like, Justin Patton grew up being a guard. Yep. He grew up and he, he grew, you know, a foot in high school, basically, and went from being six foot tall to almost seven feet tall, and his life changed, right? He became a – you know, first round pick and his, his life changed because he grew a foot. Like I knew his brother, his brother was like six, five, like he was a, he was a big guy, but a normal size, big guy, right. He wasn't an NBA site, big guy. And so um, he wasn't really a real center, despite doing a lot of the things that Kalkbrenner kind of does some of them at least. Um, but Kalkbrenner just feels like a real center, even Epperson, I mean, we really haven't seen enough of him, honestly, in any given time to get that big of a feel for it. But he, even Epperson feels a little bit more like in the Patton mode than he does in the Kalkbrenner mode, Mm -hmm. even though he's not obviously nearly as skilled as Patton. But when I watch Kalkbrenner, I just am like, hey, that is a guy who's a legitimate center. He's got post moves. He's not always strong enough to finish them, but the footwork is there. Um, he know he's really good at staying vertical on um, help defense and, and defensively around the rim. Um, he's really good with catching those lob passes and finishing around the rim, even though he's not terribly bouncy. Um, he's really good at catching and finishing. And a lot of times they're dunks, but even when they're not, he's got pretty good touch around the rim there. And, uh, so I've been just really impressed. Just it's it's just kind of a stark contrast to what we re- usually see from Creighton, where you know your big lineup last year was Christian Bishop at the five. You know, and I, I get that Kelvin Jones played some, but he was a limited. You know, he was part of the rotation, but he, he played limited minutes mostly because he was always in foul trouble. But also because he was wasn't. Hurt. Well, yeah, he was also he was hurt, um, and then. You just haven't seen – I guess Echenique is the closest thing to just yeah, a real – Yeah, but they didn't even use him the way they're using these guys now. They didn't use him that way. He really couldn't finish around the rim the same way, and he certainly couldn't run like Kalkbrenner. That's kind of the crazy thing about Kalkbrenner is he looks like an Epperson, a young Epperson or a Patton running the floor, and then he looks like a real center in the half court, mm. which is a really rare combination of skills – and if he can get a little stronger and be able to finish off some of those post moves and be able to finish through contact on some of those lobs, he's going to be a really dangerous player for Creighton moving forward. But even as a freshman, I think he's got a – I mean, you know, you've seen he's the he's the first backup to, to Bishop, and he was the guy that turned the game around today. And I think it was going to happen at some point regardless. Yeah. But, you know, the team came out super sluggish, and Jones and Kalkbrenner came in and – got that thing turned around in a hurry. So I think 
you're probably looking at, I, I don't know, numbers are always hard for reserves for me because I don't, you know, it's going to be different from game to game. So the averages get wonky sometimes. But, I mean, would it shock me if he put up a 18 and 10 at some point this season with a couple blocks? No, that wouldn't shock me. There's probably going to be some games where he scores like four points too. I don't, you know, that's just kind of how the life of a reserve center is. But I think there's going to be points where he could be a difference maker in games that matter. Yeah. It's, it's tough because, you know, for freshmen, there's always, there's, there's going to be a learning curve eventually where, where the scouting report figures, you know, the scouting report figures out who you are right now as a freshman and takes away your strengths and you don't have a plan B yet. You know what I mean? Just at that point in your career. So I think he does have a plan B though. That's the thing. Right, because he's super talented. So he's got a plan B, but having a plan B versus being confident enough to use it in a high-level D1 game is a different Very story, different. especially as a reserve. So when, when, when the coaches in the league take away plan A, does he have enough confidence in, in his game right now to utilize plan B on the fly? That's the part where freshmen struggle. Because so, we, that's, we, so that's going to come. That, we saw that with Patton, right? Once yep. Watson got hurt. Maurice Watson was his plan A. His plan A was go to the spots I know Watson's going to find me and finish the stuff he creates. Yep. It's a really good plan A. Um, but it wasn't taken away by other coaches. It was taken away by, you know, injury. And then the rest, you know, the rest of the team couldn't create the way Watson could and, and give Patton those same looks. But, you know, Patton's capable of squaring up at the elbow and taking guys to the rack. He didn't do that a ton. He's, yeah, not, he, probably not until the Big East tournament did he start to do that again. Did he yeah. Start to, did, he start to, did he start to show off plan B? Yeah. Yeah, he's capable of um, stepping out. Now, I know he was spotty from three-point range, but even stepping out to 15, 18 feet and knocking down jumpers, he's capable of that, and we didn't see a ton of that. Um, and, and so as skilled as Justin Patton is even, we just didn't see much of his plan B. Kalkbrenner, I think, is more confident in his post game as his plan B than Patton was at this point in his career because he's been working on uh, – that's footwork that he's been working on, obviously, most of his life. Mm. You know, and I think he, it'll be interesting to see if that translates, the confidence translates in high-level Big East games, if it translates against Kansas. But – I'm as I mean, the only about, thing is because he he's going to have to face experienced bigs. That's that's yeah. the one thing. That's the one thing he's running into this year as a freshman. That I don't know if I don't know if Patton did a whole lot because the Patton's group was kind of like inexperienced bigs too. So they were kind of all on the, the same plane. Here's the difference, though, right? Is how many bigs are actually used to defending good post footwork anymore? Most experienced experienced bigs you're working on, and listen, rightfully so, you're getting a lot of pick and roll work in. You're getting a lot of switches and hedges and and dropping back, uh, hedge and recover, that type of thing. But you don't see a ton of high-level footwork at the college level in the post. Sure. No. And so that's not saying they're incapable of it. That's not saying that Ryan Kalkbrenner's unstoppable. I'm saying that's why I think it's going to be interesting. I agree, but you know, I think the issue that is going to require Plan B is is Theo John, Nate Watson, Bright Senzi, um, big boys. They're big guys. Yeah, like you know, Ike Obiagu from Seton Hall, 
those guys are strong enough to maybe like his footwork is going to be there. I agree with you, but they're strong enough to nullify it because of where they're going to push him out on the floor that his footwork will be irrelevant from where he's trying to do it. Well, and that's why I said, you know, he's not always strong enough to finish off that footwork. Yeah. That's where it'll be interesting to see how much of it translates in terms of what he's actually able to get off of it. Right. That's what I mean. In the big East, his, he's really, he's really, he's only, he's really only equipped to do plan a, which is the pick and roll game. When, if teams take that away now, now granted, we're talking about we're talking about giving Creighton twos versus rhythm threes if you take that away. So there's a there's a there's a gamble there from a defensive standpoint. Yeah. But I'm saying if, if they think Ryan Kalkbrenner is a dangerous enough threat in that pick and roll game when he's on the floor, if that they can take that away from a schematic standpoint. And if they make him a post player one on one, that's probably an isolation situation that they can handle based on the experience that some of these teams have in the post. Sure, and I, I don't disagree with that. My, I don't know how many teams will sell out to stop Ryan Kalkbrenner because the alternative is – sorry, the puppy was sliding down. That's um, okay. That's okay, Douglas. Hi, little guy. You know, the alternative is letting Denzel Mahoney or Mitch Ballack or uh, Marcus Zagorowski – shoot open threes you know yeah. like if you, yeah no, yeah if you cover it correctly you don't get to have both no <laughs> and so my guess is the lobs will be there all year because it's the least heinous option <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I don't know you still see teams try to take that away and live with being bombed on though we've seen it over the years like they're like yeah look Creighton might cook us from three but we feel like that's still lower percentage than giving them dunks. Sure, which and maybe they will, but the only way to take away both is to basically go under stuff on Marcus Zagorowski, which will get you cooked. Yes. Yeah. Like that is definitive. Mm-hmm. Sample, size, under, sample size is proven at that point. <laughs> is is pretty large. That if yeah. you if you give Marcus Zagorowski too much space, he will cook you forever. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only way you take away both the um, wing and, and corner shooters and the roll man is you have to go under it and, and give basically give um, Zagorowski the, the room to roll because you can't guard – you can't switch one through five on a guy Kalkbrenner size because you just throw it over him, yeah. right? You can't, you can't put a Denzel Mahoney on a Kalkbrenner. You can't. And so – you know, that's the other option instead of going under it is to switch one through five. And I don't know anybody – I don't think anybody has the personnel for that. Mm-hmm. I lost – I'm going to be honest, I lost track of how long we've been recording, but – excuse me. I have no idea. Yeah, I know we started – I know we started at halftime on Marquette, Wisconsin, and that game's still in the second half, so. I would say I think we're almost to an hour, not quite. I don't think we are. I think we're at reasonable 45. So, let's jump into Kansas then. Um I've got 35% left on my computer, so that's how long I've got left. Okay. But I, I don't want to use all that, so we're okay. That's fine. I'm just letting you know. that's uh, I've got a sleeping puppy in the lap, so I'm not going to be getting up to get the charger. 35% is all i got left. Okay. Well, you, when, when you get into the red zone, let me know. For sure. If we get, if we get that far. So this Kansas matchup. 
it's uh, it's going to be interesting because, well, I mean, that's probably a stupid way to say it. Of course, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> but the, inter the interesting, yeah, of the many interesting, of the many reasons that this game is going to be interesting, one of them is that Kansas is going to scout Creighton pretty extensively. They're going to have time to prepare. They're going to have film on all of these guys because Creighton has played everyone uh, pretty substantially in terms of minutes so far when you look at how deep they've gone and how much how much of the tendencies they've put on film for each guy so far. So from that standpoint, I think that's the number one thing I'm really curious about because I think going into this year, like if my theory is that Creighton has um, one of, if not the most potent offensive, you know, offense in the country – a team like talking about Gonzaga and Creighton. That that's basically the, that's, that's what that's where I'm at. I mean, it's like it's those it's those two, and then there's a drop off. You know what I mean? I probably give Gonzaga a slight edge at this point, but no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Wherever group, you wherever you want to. That's do it. Group A. Yeah, Group Group A is Gonzaga Creighton. Group B is you know anyone else that wants to. Play. It doesn't even matter. Um. So I'm curious about Kansas because. We know that they're incredibly uh, good at taking away strengths. Um, we know that they're well coached. So I'm really curious to see how Kansas nullifies Creighton's strengths and makes, you know, makes guys use that plan B that we've been talking about. So it's just, that's the most fascinating part of this matchup for me is like how, and, it, and it's still early in the season. So Creighton still will get better and sharper, but how good is, how, how, how high of a ceiling does Creighton's offense have? So, like, so that's my first question to you is, like, how interested are you in the matchup of Kansas's scouting, um, all the things that they've put – all the things that Creighton has put on film so far through three games? How curious are you to see what Kansas is able to do from a defensive standpoint to take away what Creighton does well? Well, I'm interested to see what they identify as their number one strength. As right? Creighton's? Yeah. Because, Marcus Zagorowski, right? Right, but I mean, like, what part of it? Well, Marcus Garrett can take away all of it, so isn't that just what can you do? Can he take away all of it, though? He's the best defender in the country. Wouldn't you just let him try to take away all of it? I'd let him try. But you, you, here's the thing. Like, I, I just don't feel confident that there's anyone, no matter how good the defender is, that's going to stop somebody all night. And, and listen, maybe – but that's my point, though, is, like, Maybe you stop Zagorowski from scoring all night. Does that mean you're stopping him from creating all night also? Because I don't think you can do both. Okay. And so if they, I, mean, I think, I think you want to make Marcus Zagorowski a scorer. Yes. That's my point is you leave, you, you probably leave one-on-one -on -one matchups for Zagorowski with Garrett and right. say, hey, if you can drop 40 on us and you only have three assists, okay, we'll live with it, you know. That's what I would do rather than let him get, you know, 20 and 10 and get everybody cooking. I would, I would lean that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I mean. Like, do you stop Marcus Zagrowski the score? Who, what did he drop, 35 on Texas Tech last year? Uh, I, think it, I think, no, it was not 35. It was 32. I don't think he's had that. Oh, I thought it was higher than that. But 32 on Texas Tech last year? Or, you know, do you 
do you let him do that? Or do you stop him from getting everybody else involved? You and I personally would stop him from getting everybody else involved and see if he can beat you with 40, but maybe they don't identify that. Maybe they identify, Hey, we have to make sure Creighton doesn't get going from three point range in general. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think, I think in general, they're going to try to make they're I mean, because of what Marcus Garrett can do until someone gets hot, they're going to stick him on Marcus and make, Whatever, make try and tell Garrett to make everything he does miserable, make his reads tough. Uh, you know, for, make his passing lanes, you know, make his passing windows smaller, um, and and not let him get you know in rhythm on the perimeter. So, it's it's probably Marcus's toughest test of his career because, you know, just from the standpoint of. This is like this is the first time where they're facing a team this year that's going to be capable of doing it, and we're going to see how much of a focus Marcus Zagorowski is on the scouting report now, because this is where we find out. This is where we find out what is Creighton, uh, where is Creighton's deficiency without Tyshawn Alexander. This is where we're going to find that out. Well, and that's I'm I'm really interested to see what Denzel Mahoney looks like. Because yeah, on, on Tuesday, yeah, yeah, because that's the guy that you're like, okay. He can create his own shot a little bit. He didn't shoot well tonight, obviously. Was he like one for seven or something? Yeah, was, um, I think he was 0 for five from three. So I think he's but, just under 50 for the year during two games. Yeah, because he was what, five for six? He was five, he was five for seven in game one. I think he was 0 for five tonight. So five for yeah. 12. Um, so I'll be interested to see that because he. Oh, are you interested in it too, Douglas? Because <laughs> uh, he kind of came in as the guy that could get his own shot get a bucket, get to the rim, get to the foul line. And those are the things that if, if Mitch, if uh, Marcus Zagrowski is number one on the scouting report and your Marcus Garrett's taking him away, Denzel Mahoney needs to be the guy. He needs to be the, the guy that can get the shots off and get his own st- shots when Marcus Zagrowski isn't creating everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be interested to see if he's actually capable of that because he didn't really have to do that at any point last year. Um, he did a couple times, but it wasn't because he had to. It's just because he could. Um, we saw Tyson Alexander do that sometimes when he had to. Um, and so if he can do that, that'll be interesting. I think there's a chance. I don't know. I think there's a chance Antoine Jones can provide a little bit of that. Um, not obviously as your primary option, but in terms of getting some buckets, going to the hoop, maybe getting to the foul line a little bit. Um, you know, guys that can get to the foul line are – super valuable in games that are ugly because if you can't get your offense going, like it's just cheap points. We saw that against Denzel Mahoney last year against Oklahoma in his very first game. You know, there were times where he could get to the foul line when the offense was kind of slogged down a little bit and keep the point production happening, even when the offense wasn't really clicking. And so Arizona state, I feel like was a big one for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And so, if you can do that and have a couple guys that can do that, then I think Kansas is going to have a really tough time. Um, if those guys can't step up and create and keep the offense moving or at least provide supplemental offense when the traditional you know motion is broken down, then Creighton may not be able to score enough to, to come out with a win. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm just really curious about this game for the, you know, from the standpoint of like, what is, who is Kansas? Because I've seen, 
<coughs> excuse me. I've watched him play. You know, I watched the Gonzaga game, I watched the Kentucky game. I didn't I don't I didn't watch any of the Washburn game yesterday, but it seemed like, you know, it was I don't know, it was like a game for fifteen minutes and it wasn't. <coughs> and uh I don't know. Like Gonzaga put Gonzaga put one oh two on him. Yeah. Um what what is what can Creighton do? How much better is Kansas from that game? Because of that experience. Like Creighton hasn't played a defense that can do what Kansas can do. Right. But Kansas has already faced an offense that can do what Creighton can do. Right. right. We think. We're theorizing, right? Yeah. So that's like they're 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 Kansas is maybe ahead of schedule right now because of that experience. Creighton's going into this with more uncertainty, even though they probably are super confident in what they can do on the offensive end of the floor. They still have like again, I bring that up again. The question of what happens when someone takes away Marcus Zagorowski or tries to even for and, a stretch. And, and, and Tyshawn and Tyson Alexander isn't there to offset it. Even for a stretch, because I, I don't think it's realistic to and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not giving Marcus Garrett enough credit. But I definitely don't think you are. You know he won the defensive player of the year last year, right? Yeah, I'm aware. Okay, so he's a returning that guy. I understand. Okay. I, was I also, that. you know, have talked an enormous amount of trash on behalf of Marcus Zagorowski. So <laughs> You have to keep it going. I'm just riding that train till it crashes, right? <laughs> um, you don't have to ride it till it crashes. You can. I'm not getting off. You can see it coming to a crash and be like, you know what? I'm gonna go into a different train now. Nope, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna rebuild. My... I'm gonna rebuild the Marcus Zagorowski train so it doesn't. So because this I mean, one's gonna. Maybe. You know I mean? uh, yeah. But my point is, like, I think you'll. Sh- I think <laughs> you'll be able to maybe shut him down enough for stretches to disrupt Creighton's offense significantly. I don't think it's realistic to say, hey, we're locking Zegarowski in the cupboard for 40 minutes. He's not getting his offense going. He's not getting the rest of the team going. It's just not happening. I, I just don't feel like that's realistic for anybody just in general. But the point is there's going to be a four, six-minute stretch where Zegarowski doesn't have it going. And – Garrett is locking him up and is making his life miserable. And what happens in those four to six minute stretches? Cause that's where you win or lose games mm-hmm. is in those stretches where you're, you're as a team, your plan A isn't working. And what is Creighton's plan B? I, I'm assuming it's Denzel Mahoney, but is that a good enough plan B against a defense like Kansas? Um, it doesn't have to be for, like, listen, Tyson Alexander could carry you for 40 minutes if he had to, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Denzel doesn't have to do that. No one, on team, no one on the team does, do they? Like, this team? Doesn't anyone have to? I don't think has to, but Marcus Zagorowski's close. Yeah, but he has to be He has to be on as a facilitator or a shooter or both. Yeah. Like, yeah. if it's one or the he other, they're okay. Like, they'll yeah, be he play. doesn't have to be both at all times, but he has right. to be one of them. Like, when he's both at all times, they're not getting beat by anyone. Yeah, if he's both at all times, they're, they're unbeatable. Like, they're right. legitimately well, not. Well, other, other than maybe someone who can score with them, like Gonzaga. Yeah. Yeah, like, against, yeah, like Gonzaga. But the, the question is going to be, can Denzel or Antoine or Mitch or whoever step up for six minutes at a time and carry the offense when Zagorowski is getting shut down and frustrated and – you know, and locked up by Marcus Garrett. That's the, mm-hmm. 
that's the most interesting part. Now, honestly, that's what made last year's team so dangerous and why selfishly, you know, everybody wanted Tyshawn to come back so badly. Because if you have Tyshawn on this team, like, you're talking about a – I mean, you're talking about, like, the number two team in the country. Sorry, just, I'm reacting to Wisconsin Marquette. No, Go. I'm watching it too. I saw it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you're, you're – you're talking about no worse than the third team in the country because you got Gonzaga and then it's either Baylor or Creighton if you have Tyshawn Alexander on that team. That's why – but oh, that's, sure. why, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why his absence matters is because you don't have two guys that can do it for 40 minutes – and carry the offense for 40 minutes. Yeah. They have one. Why do you try to draw a charge on that spot of the floor? Why would you do that? I mean, terrible decision-making. God almighty. Okay, go on. Sorry. Um, Yeah, you're right, though. I hear you. So, yeah, the the question is, do you have a handful of guys or even a couple of guys that can carry you for a media, like a a media time, like a media slot, right? Five minutes. A a four-minute spurt, four or five-minute spurt. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. if you've got a couple of those, I think you've got a pretty good shot of beating Chad. Oh, 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 are you kidding me? Oh my goodness, what? Get out of here! You gotta be kidding me. That's unreal. That is unbelievable. Yeah, like it's the yeah, watch Sports Center, end of Marquette, Wisconsin. You'll know what we are. Yeah, DJ Carton misses the second free throw to win the game, and. Marquette tips it in with 0.9 seconds left. This Justin Lewis kid has been good. I liked him. He's a problem already. Everybody's He's talking. Everybody's, everybody's talking about Dawson Garcia. That dude's legit. Yeah, Garcia's the the highly touted freshman, right? Yeah, he's freshman of the year or preseason. Did he, are they going to look? Are they going to show us if he got it off? He had it got. It was 0.9. He got it he off, right? Dipping 0.9, you can do that as low as 0.3. They'll give that to him. I was going to say, there's no way he didn't get that off. Oh, that's not even close. Not yeah. close at all. You got it off no. with three. Yeah, the ball. The ball was the ball touched the rim before the red light went on. Yeah. Wow. I mean, honestly, could, the end of this game was crazy because like every team, they both teams kept scoring. Like there was no defensive stops here in the last like minute and a half. Which is weird because this wasn't like an offensive juggernaut of a game. Right. It was pretty ugly, like a slugfest before that. Wow, what a tip! <laughs> Good touch on that too. I'll say just got a little bit of the uh, Kawhi roll, too. Yeah, Theo John is not tipping that in. <laughs> Theo John probably breaks the glass with it. He, like, throws it into the stands. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Good win for the Big East, though. That's right. Big East pride. And it probably helps. I mean, Mark, uh, Wisconsin's three spots ahead of – or four five spots ahead of the Jays. So, Kansas yeah. probably moves into the top five maybe now. And Creighton yeah, moves up into the – Kansas is seven going into this one. Creighton's nine. Yeah, so they probably go seven and five, maybe. Five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin moves below CU with this one. I don't care. I mean, we're just talking about window dressing at this point, but yeah, it's just like the it's prepping the uh, you know prepping the 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 matchup. But Mm -hmm. I I mean, I I mean, Andy Katz did have Wisconsin as like a Final Four dark horse because he loves Big Ten teams and he's. From and Wisconsin, and he's went to Wisconsin. And because Andy Katz is stupid. Wow, oh, put that on the podcast, huh? Okay. Um, I forgot we were still on the air. No, no we're still on the air, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, well, I, I just don't know why. Why was Wisconsin four and like, Creighton was like 12? 
12 or something or whatever. 11. People get weird, like, obsessions with Wisconsin. They do, right? It's weird. Like, they know it's not, like, Bo Ryan anymore, don't they? Like, there's, I, not a, there's not a benefit of the doubt that needs to be handed there. I This is super weird to see Seton Hall and Oregon on Creighton's floor. I know. I do uh, like watching. I do like watching games on Creighton's floor, though. Like, I, yeah, I do. There's an there's an aesthetic there that looks good. I don't care who's playing. It's just super strange. It um, is. No, I mean it's. Uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, Mark Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah they, yeah, they never have any guys that I like. I know. I'm trying to think. Not since Kaminsky and Decker. I liked Hayes. He was there a year after that, but that's it. Yeah, but Hayes got worse though. He did. No, he did. Yeah, like he was good early, and then it was like he was only he was the only guy that I even sort of liked recently. Yeah, like, uh, Bronson Koenig, I thought was garbage. <laughs> I, was garbage. Uh, I don't know if it's garbage, but Ethan Hap, I thought was overrated. Oh, I liked Hap, but in in ways you're not supposed to like players. Like I had a different I had a different standard for him because he did things he did things at a super high level that like no one cares about anymore in basketball. Like what? Like defending the post. <laughs> yeah, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Um, no one cares about that anymore, and he's so good at it. I hate it. He had no chance. He had no chance of making the league because he, he was, was born 30 years late. 30 years. Seriously, he is like a lottery pick if, if he's like in a in different generation. 1990, <laughs> that man is a top five pick. Seriously, like, what was the year Olo Candy went number one? That's Ethan Happ's year. To 98. Go. That's Ethan Happ's year to go number one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's it. But that was, that, that was the Candy, last. Especially Olo Candy was, like, 28. Yeah, that was the last one, though. Because when did Tim Duncan go one? 99, the year after? 99. Yeah, so that wasn't happening. But even yeah. Tim Duncan was, like, a pretty traditional post player. He was, but Happ wasn't better than Duncan. So like, No, he wasn't going one in 99. Yeah. He would have gone lottery 99. Yeah, for sure, lottery still. But he's good. In 98, Ethan Hatch going one because that dude <laughs> that dude was amazing at post defense. Like, so good at positioning, getting his hands in there. Just like you couldn't score on him down there. I loved it. But he was, it was useless in his face game. Because, no, they didn't face anybody who he needed – that skill was required for a large stretch of, of the game. He could, uh, you know, he could D- – he needed to come back and D.F. Kalkbrenner, D.F. our guy. Maybe. He also <laughs> – he also couldn't like. Where did he not make baskets from? Outside of the lane or outside of fifteen? Where was it? Where was, outside the, of like where was the what was the number where he never made a shot? It was like seven feet. It was really close. It's, oh my God. I'm not even kidding. He even like, like a, he's like an all Big Ten dude. That's what I mean. That's how good he was on that end of the floor because he couldn't make anything outside of that. No, it only even guarded him out there, like out past like legitimately like seven feet. Yeah, like seven feet. So that's like a useless basketball player on offense. He was pretty good within seven feet, though. Sure. Like, you know, but most people are if they're playing Division One basketball. And you're that tall, right? Like, that's kind yeah, of like, you're, yeah. You're six, what is he, 6'10"? Yeah, that's somewhere in there. You're 6'10", and you can't make shots within seven feet. <laughs> you're probably not. You're probably never a Division One basketball player. How did we get on Wisconsin? That's pretty funny. Oh, yeah, they're going to drop in the rankings as well. Yeah, they just uh, – yeah, and they were at four. I mean, why were they ever at four? What does that mean? Why? These people are strange. Um, yeah, so can't like so what's your excitement level for Kansas on Tuesday? Where are you at? I'm pretty I mean, I'm pretty hyped up. I'm pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. I mean um, it would be cool to be there. Like Do you want like a number? No, just give me like a Ravi grade. 
Um, I would say I'm like a, I would say I'm, I, I'd say I'm like a seven out of 10 excited. All right. So like, it's not, uh, um, so what, what games are in that range for you? So like, for example, Seton Hall last year was a 10. Okay. Like the set, the the last. So you don't game. you don't you don't overlap. You don't go eleven, twelve out of ten. No, because I use an actual scale. And not like thirteen out of ten wood pet type of deal. Like no, nothing on that. I love like dogs. Seton, Seton Hall. Uh, like Seton Douglas, Hall. Douglas is fourteen out of ten. Good boy, right? Like. Yeah, that's a dog scale. That's not a basketball scale. That's what I mean. You're not going on a dog scale, so it's like they no, go over. on a basketball scale. So we're talking about basketball. Not dog the basketball scale. caps at ten. You can't go over it on basketball. You can't do it. So Seton Hall game is a ten out of ten, and so with like Creighton in a national championship, like that's that's a ten still too. Also, yeah, I mean, I listen. I only have so much excitement I can offer. I heard Doug disagree with that. He I did. Heard, He's like, I, heard I am said. at least a nineteen out of ten good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas was like, I heard I got a fourteen. What's up with this? Yeah, guy? He's like, this guy doesn't know anything. It's like seriously, give him a give him my film. Um. He is. He's trying to give you some film right now. Um, no, I mean, like, listen, I, I only have, like, so much excitement to give. So, like, if Crane's playing in a national championship and I go higher or much higher than – so I guess Seton Hall's a nine. That's what I'm saying. you got to give yourself room for history, right? See, it was history. His first ever Big, big, big East championship. I agree, but it wasn't, like, history in terms of can't be exceeded. So, like, nine. Yeah, okay, all right. If I go much higher than that, my I didn't want you to downgrade the Seton Hall game more as I wanted to see if you were going to go over it. I'm not going to go over. So, not, Seton Hall's so you're, a nine. So, you're going to downgrade it then. Good job. Yeah. That'll Seton make everybody nine. Um, I will say Doug I'm just going to say I'm just going to say Seton Hall's a 9 out of 10 on Robbie's scale, and then everybody's going to be like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> like, Doug Senior Night, though, was a 10 out of 10, even on the national championship scale. But now, but now it has to be downgraded, so. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Even on the national championship scale, Doug Senior Night was 10 out of 10. Okay. Well, we established that you have to downgrade that, so sorry. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten for Doug Senior Night and Seton Hall. I didn't even say that. You're a tough grader, man. That's tough. Well, you're just making things up that I didn't say, so. I know, but I have editing power <laughs> that I'm not gonna that I'm not gonna use, so we'll see. I was um, gonna say something, but I don't want to ruin your listening audience, so. Like ruin them, like their lives or mine. No, like ruin your life and make people not want to listen to your podcast anymore. I feel like we're already at that point if we're going to get there. I was say, I didn't realize I was on a conservative talk show with you just telling people I said things I didn't say. See, you hyped that up way too much, and I'm not impressed by that, Dick. You could well, you could have done better. I pulled my punch a little bit. You did. I mean, I was I was expecting this to be an extremely low blow. I, that is, that, I don't think that's gonna. I don't know if that's gonna alienate who you think it's gonna. Alienate. I don't know what your audience is. I don't know what your audience is. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if 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 that audience was still not alienated by now, I did that this summer. So like, <laughs> okay, they're, they're they're already gone. I mean, <laughs> they were pretty upset with me this summer. So I don't know if they left. Gonna... <laughs> they left with my uh, Twitter followers this summer. I mean, if I had shown you my day to day like numbers, like they left in droves. They were not pleased. <laughs> And all I did was wave goodbye, which is not what they wanted from an attitude standpoint. They wanted me to more like conform versus like Yeah, they wanted you to grovel for their approval. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When I when really it's like, no, I don't care about I don't you don't if you have those opinions, I don't want 
I don't want them in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can go ahead and take your support somewhere else. <laughs> right. There's, a, there's another Blue Jay Focus website that I'm glad they take you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it didn't, you didn't alienate anybody with that. So, again, I'm just disappointed in that big. I thought well, I, I, I was going to get a true, like, gut punch and I was ready. I'm kind of sputtering to the end here. Yeah, I know. We should probably wrap it up because we're just gibbering. We're just gibbering. Yeah, and I'm down to 15%. And we're in the red zone. Red zone? All right, cool. That's a good way to stop where Nebraska's offense does. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Banger. Um, yeah, I've got to prep a pregame show tomorrow. For tomorrow. Oh, good, good luck with that. That's I'm doing pre and post tomorrow. Nice, man. Get that bread. That's right. Go big bread. Go big bread. Hand that money to Ravi for talking That's about for you, that. Al. <laughs> Alex had a banger tonight too. What do you say? Kaufmaner's like watching a horse run in a river or something like that. What do you yeah, say? and that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, he, had, he, he shouldn't have left that part in though. He should have like, he should have left it up with me. I'm glad he did because he's like, I understand this is an obscure reference. So in case you're wondering, it's a compliment. See, that's how I know he's losing his touch because he used to make obscure references and he let everybody interpret it how they that's want. True, he's gone mainstream. Yeah, he has it on mainstream. Much like the horse running in the river. When he has to be like, I'm kidding. Like, it's like, nope, you're losing your touch. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for hopping on. Always good talking hoops with you and general nonsense. Uh, Absolutely. We'll do it again sometime. Douglas, uh, I appreciate you too, buddy. Thanks, yeah, anytime, anytime you need me, you always uh, help me out on the Crane Athletic Hours. Anytime you need me, I got you. For sure. All right, man. Be well. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one, buddy. Later.